last announcement, get your Bible out and give your attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Westside, we're glad that you're here, and Happy New Year. And before I dive in and sort of get into where we're at, some of you guys are like, Epiphany, Epiphawada, I think I got a shot for that in school or something like that. I want to set us up and do a little bit of work. Uh, this is a picture of a pastor and scholar by the name of A.W. Tozer, and he was a pastor in the Chicago area. I would recommend any of his books to you, but he was someone who wrote lightning sentences. But in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says these words, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our own mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. That's a big sentence. The most important thing about us is the very first thing that we think about when we think about God. And, and, and what we're talking about is, is a word called theology. Theos, God, ology, the study of, right? And a lot of times we say like, oh, theology, I don't really, I'm not into that. I'm just kind of practical stuff. I'm just trying to kind of scoop by. But when the statement is thrown around or the statement is said in church, it could be a very dangerous statement of, I think God is like blank. I mean, that's a theological statement. And as R.C. Sproul once said, um, all of us are actually theologians. Some of us are just really bad ones, right? And so when we say the statement, I think God is like blank, that, that's a big statement. It's a theological statement. And, and actually, when, when you look at that sentence, the, the authority of that sentence is found in the I. I think God is like. 
Um, one of the things that I've been learning, our church is going through this year, a church assessment through Gravity Leadership, which is a, just a phenomenal organization that's been helping us out. And I've been in a coaching cohort. And one of the things that they teach um, pastors is that your theology directly relates to, to how you lead um, people. And one of the axioms that they call them a leadership lesson is the idea of our false images of God. Because we say this all the time at Westside, what we believe determines how we behave. So if we think God is a certain way or a certain being, then that affects everything in our life, from the way we handle money to our relationships to how we live to all of these things. And in their, um, that session, it was very revealing sort of the four false images that are pretty common that, that people have of God. The first false image is this, um, the distant deity, if you will, the distant deity. This is the ancient, um, so, you know, like it's, it's kind of like the idea of, well, you know, when I'm in creation or if a baby's born or this, that, and the other, there's, I experience something that is much bigger than me. Like we say all the time, nobody stands uh, at the ocean and looks out at the vastness of the sea and says, man, I'm awesome, right? There's, there's something bigger, right? But we would never think that the God that created all of that would, would ever be involved in the day-to-day -day elements of my life or, or really cares about me. The, the distant deity, if you will. Or, or how about this one? The demanding judge, that sure, there's, there is a God, and this God has a checklist. And every single day, I think about that list. And I didn't read my Bible today, and I didn't pray before I got to work. And so God doesn't love me as much this morning as he did yesterday morning because I prayed and read my Bible and even called my mom. And so he really loved me then. And so it's always this checklist, and that view of God leads us to live in constant fear, anxiety, insecurities, and we are constantly trying to earn that love of that God. Or the third view is the deterministic micromanager, right? And so um, in, in church, a lot of times, we, we try to spiritualize things by saying stuff, and we say horrible, ignorant things, okay? Like, I was uh, part-time at a funeral home. Uh, I was the in-house chaplain there, and so I did funerals for, for families who didn't have a minister or this, that, and the other. So I spent a lot of time at a funeral home. And, and let me tell you something. If you want to hear some of the most ignorant things ever in the world, um, just listen to a conversation that's taking place at a funeral, right? Hey, here's some advice, okay? Um, if you ever experience somebody or you're in a relationship or you know somebody who's lost someone, here's, here's just a bit of advice for you. Here's what you need to say to them. I love you, hug them, and then shut your mouth and walk away, okay? Because people say like, well, you know, God needed another angel. Really? Why didn't he take you out then, right? You know, I mean like, what is that? What does that even mean? What are you saying, right? Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Really? Do you know that reason? No. Then be quiet, okay? And, and, and what we think is that God's will is this little dot, and, and it's this little dot, and I've got to find that will, and, I, and I've got to always live on that dot, because then if I, well, if I buy this house and I accept this job, and then, well, we've got to buy a vehicle, and so, um, you know, Chevy, Ford, Dodge, Chevy, Ford, Dodge, Chevy, Ford, Dodge, which one does God want me to buy? And it's clearly Dodge, but anyway, I'm just teasing, okay? And every decision that we make thinks there's this domino effect of everything in our life, because God is a deterministic micromanager that's doing all of of these things and if I miss out and there's so much fear there's so much anxiety there 
Or, or, or how about this last one, which is sort of borrowed from C.S. Lewis, but very popular in our culture. The doting grandfather, right? It's, it's this idea of a God who's like an old grandpa who doesn't really care what the kids do. Doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, as long as the grandkids are happy and they're having fun, then that God is for that. And you're awesome. And you have two stars next to your name. And you deserve three extra cupcakes because you're great, right? And then that God would never challenge or never... Um, grow us in certain areas of our life, and there's always a condoning. You see, what, what we realize when we look at these false images of God is this, that, that the great sin of human nature is that we create a God through our own lens and our own life experiences. So what we say is, and this is very difficult and kind of, we're just right out the gate, but like our family origin, our parents, the home we grew up in, we project those things onto God. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, immediately when you hear that word, there is an image of God that comes into our mind. But rather than creating an image of God through our own experiences and our own mind, when we come to the pages of Scripture, we see a God that is much different. So, so what do we do about that? How can we correct these false images? Well, enter the season of Epiphany. And so historically in the church calendar, what we're doing this year is we're saying as a church and as a body, we're, we're resisting the world and the culture and all of those things. And instead of saying, this is my life, this is our church, these are our plans, here's what we're going to do, and then sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of that, instead of that, we're saying that this is Jesus, this is the life of Christ, and everything else revolves around that. And so we went through the season of Advent where, where we had the angst and the arrival of the Messiah. And, and we're still sort of living in the second Advent for, for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then we celebrated technically today on the church calendar. Today's the 12th day of Christmas. On the church calendar, Christmas is a season. And we said last week that Christmas isn't something that we can just microwave and be done with it. But rather it's like, it's like a crock pot. We need to marinate in the magnitude of the message of Christmas. And now we enter into the season of Epiphany, where we answer the question, what was such the big deal about the arrival of Jesus and the Messiah? Well, it's this idea that now in the person of Jesus Christ, we know what God is like. And we see this sort of in cartoons or this, that, and the other. It's sort of the, the light bulb moment, the aha moment, if you will. I had an epiphany, right? It's this idea of a revelation of a thought. And, and the word comes straight from Scripture. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy. The God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Oh, that was a good spot for an amen. I'll reread it and then let you join into the sermon. That'd be a great idea. Ready? Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That phrase and that word, the appearing, that's where we get the word epiphany from. And for the two of you who care, that's what it looks like in the original language, the epiphania. 
the revealing. So now, this is such a big deal. Now that we've waited for the arrival of the Messiah, we believe that Jesus has come. Well, the answer is, what does that mean? What does that mean? When we look at the other verses in the Bible, like John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Or Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God. That Listen to me. There is nothing else that we need to know about God that has not been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That is a massive statement. So the big idea and the thesis for us entering into the season of Epiphany is this. The season of Epiphany shows us that God is like Jesus. That now we don't have to guess what God is like or how God would react to certain situations or this, that, or the other. And then that's why when we read in the Gospels and we see Jesus interacting with lepers and sinners and saying the statements and things that he's saying, what we're saying is God is like this. And you know what's interesting is, is we, we have a thing culturally that we do about this. Like, when it comes culturally now in, in, in 2020 and we want to reveal something about ourselves, there's, there's a thing. You know, and it's interesting. There, there's, many generations are known for what they contribute to society, right? I mean, like, think of, you know, as Tom Brokaw said, the greatest generation that ever lived. The guys that fought on the beaches of Normandy and this, that, and the other. Just incredible contributions to society. Well, our generation in 2016 uh, contributed something to society. And it's now in the Oxford English Dictionary. And it's called the selfie, right? Some generations fight wars and invent cures for illnesses, and some generations invent the selfie, right? And here's what's fun about this in this season. This is what the kids in Kidside at Westside are learning. And they're learning this concept, that Jesus is God's selfie, just the jelly on the bottom shelf. What's God like? God's like Jesus. Well, how do I know that God's loving? Jesus. How do I know that God is Jesus? The season of Epiphany shows us that God is like Jesus. And this has profound impacts on the way in which we live our lives. Because now this God is not distant. This God and this idea of a demanding judge or the micromanager or this approval or this, that, and the other changes everything. So in this season, every passage that we approach, we ask this question, if God is like Jesus then what does this passage of Scripture teach us about God? And millions of other Christians across the globe are reading and studying this same text today, the idea of, of the Magi coming. So, you know, we said last week that, that the wise men or the Magi, those guys actually come um, after Jesus is born. So if you have a nativity scene that has the three wise men, I'm just lovingly telling you, it's wrong, take it down, okay, right? They come afterwards because we see that Jesus and Mary and Joseph are in a house now, and it's some days after. And so if we now know that, G that God is like Jesus, what does the story of the wise men teach us about God? Well, the first thing that we see is this, that God's love in Jesus is for the whole world. 
It's for the whole world. Verse 1, it says that wise men are the magi from the east. Now, these guys um, are very peculiar. Um, Hey, here's a fun trivia question. How many wise men were there? How many wise men? If you say three, you're wrong, right? Okay, we don't know. There were three gifts, and so we kind of draw the line and think, well, there must have been three wise men. There was probably a lot more than that. We learn about the magi, which is, by the way, where we get the word magician from. Um, actually, in an Old Testament book of the Bible, Daniel. Remember that story that the people of Israel are held captive by the Babylonians? And so they go into captivity. And then we see this young cat, Daniel, him and his three buddies, who sort of resist the culture of Babylon. But it says in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel tested higher than any of the other magis. And that was put in charge of the court of the Magi's and that Daniel taught them the scrolls. Well, what would a Jewish Daniel teach pagan Babylonians out of scrolls? The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And we know that in Numbers 24 verse 17, there's a prophecy that God says that from Jacob there shall be a star that rises. So think about this. Thousands of years before this ever takes place. These guys already sort of knew a little bit of what was taking place, but these guys were studiers of the stars. And so they would have these prophecies and they would study these things. They also come from the east. And anytime the Bible talks about the east, there's sort of a poetic implication there. Because we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that when God banished Adam and Eve, our first parents from the Garden of Eden, because instead of worshiping God, they wanted to be God. Long before James Dean and long before the movie, he sent them out of the east of Eden. So what are we seeing with all of this taking place? Let me break it down. We are seeing pagan astrologers from Babylon whom God is drawing to himself. This is pretty profound because one of the things that we see is that Christianity is more exclusive and inclusive than any other religion in the world. And this is not popular and it's probably going to make a lot of y'all mad in the room and just welcome to West Side, okay? Here's why it's more exclusive than any other religion in the world. Because we believe that the only way to God the Father is through His Son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody else comes to encounter the living God other than through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to me. It is not true that God is at the top of a mountain and all other religions are like roads going up to this mountain. And it doesn't really matter what road you take because in the end there's one destination and that's at the top of the mountain. And that's where God, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, okay? The real true message of Christianity is that God's come down off the mountain and has found you right where you were at. And he did it in the person of Jesus. But, but, anybody can come to Jesus, Anybody can come to Jesus. So it's this great tension that we always try to solve within Christianity. And when we do that, we literally water down the true essence of the message. Because you got to understand, the people in which this story is written to, they would have thought that God only loved the people of Israel. That's it. Because it was an ethnic-based religion. It was your race. It was where you were born and that last name. We like to think that we're so beyond thinking that a certain type of people are superior than another type of people. And let's just draw the application from the text to your life. We distort the message that God's love is for the whole world by deciding the fact that God only loves the type of people that we love. 
So we, we, we have language like, you know, you know, you know, those people. Anytime I get told that, I'm always like, oh, no, I don't know. Please tell me. Well, well, well yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just, listen, when we understand the magnitude of the love of God found in the person of Jesus Christ, it is much bigger. It is much bigger than what we could ever imagine. So now, let's look at our own lives. Does the love that God has shown us in Christ reflect in the circle of influence of people that I have in my life? Or is everybody in my life just like me? Just like me. Because I don't need to extend any certain type of love. But we say that we can't do that because we see that God's love in Jesus is for the whole world. And then the second thing we see is this, is that God's love in Jesus is actively pursuing people. Actively pursuing people, right? This is the great mystery. It says there in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. His star. Listen, I've read pages and pages and pages of Bible commentators who have spilled so much ink trying to explain the star. Um, you know, it was three planets that aligned, and we have extra biblical sources because in ancient Chinese calendars we have this. Or it might have just been an epiphany just for those wise men to see, to get drawn there. And then it, like, sometimes it almost sounds like a men in black explanation, like the gases from Uranus reflected off of Jupiter. And then what happened? Hey, 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 listen, you ready? I don't know. I don't know about the star. But here's what I do know. It was a supernatural event. I'm just okay with that. And you're like, Pastor Jason, why are you okay with a supernatural event? Well, because I'm still trying to grasp the fact that God, before eternity passed, second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, whom always existed, became a human being, okay? Like, I'm still trying to figure that one out, all right? So I'm totally okay with understanding this point that I'm trying to make, that God uses supernatural means to draw people to himself, that is what we see within this revelation, that God is like Jesus. And what if, this is just a suggestion, I just want to lay this in front of you. What if all the circumstances in your life and the job change and the family conflict and this, that, and the other, and maybe even the suffering or this and that, what if it's not about you at all? What if it's about God drawing you and the people around you closer to himself? I mean, we wouldn't have the time if we passed a microphone in here so everybody could give their testimony. And there's basically a blueprint over every testimony of anybody who's encountered Jesus. It is, I was going along with my life, had everything planned out, thought I was awesome, two stars next to my name, and I thought I deserved three cupcakes, and then God knocked the props out from underneath my life. I realized it wasn't all about me, and then my eyes opened up, and I gave my life to Christ, right? And it's in passages that we're always familiar with. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you know what that's saying? He makes me lie down in green pastures. you got two options. You can lie down in green pastures or he will bust your knees and make you lie down in green pastures. God is using the situations in your life. God is using those things to draw. It's so much bigger than us. And listen, I used to fight this. I used to fight this all of my life growing up. And, you know, my testimony, Courtney and I's testimony are different. My testimony is God saved me from sex, drugs, and rock and roll and just the whole cliche like thing. Courtney's story is like God saved me from Sunday school. Right? 
because it's just not because your life is perfect on the outside doesn't mean that you don't need Jesus. But God was drawing me in my life through the circumstances that I kept constantly resisting. Like, this might be too much information, but that's fine. I'm just going, and we're just going to do this, okay? Um, God saved me from some stuff in my life. And so, like, growing up in high school, here's one thing that I just could never understand. Why all my other friends could get away from the cops. <laughs> Not Jason, right? Everybody else just hopped over the fence super fast. <laughs> Not you, buddy, right? I mean, it was always that way in my life. It was from class to anything. I never got away with anything in my life, and I hated it. I resented God for it until my dad set me across from the dining room table and said, hey, Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines those whom he loves. And you can run, and you can keep resisting, but Jason, God is chasing you through every circumstance and situation in your life. What if we had a different perspective on our life like that? To see that this God is not only the love, is not only for the entire world, the entire world, but this God is also drawing people to himself. It's the greatest church growth strategy ever, and I read those books all the time, and nobody ever narrows down on Jesus' words in John chapter 6, that when I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That it is Jesus Christ and all of those circumstances God is using to draw you closer to himself. So the question is not this. Is God leading me, right? We have, I get that question all the time. Well, I just need to know is God leading me? I just need to know this, that, or the other. That's not the question. The question is, am I following God's lead? That's the question. Because look, I mean, there's the star God's done like 90% of the work here, but guess what the Magi still had to do? They still had to follow it. They still had to obey. And a lot of scholars and theologians believe that these guys traveled upward of a thousand miles to come and do this. And we see that God is drawing us in the person of Jesus Christ, that this love is for the whole world, it's so much bigger than what we could ever imagine. And what if... What if the situations in your life and the relationships that you have, hey, this is pretty crazy to think about. What if you are someone's answer to prayer? Oh God, I just pray. I pray for my granddaddy and my grandmama, my mom and dad and my brother. God, I pray that you would save them, God. God, I have family members that don't know you. What if, what if you're the means in which that good news comes? Do you see how God is drawing us to himself? But then the last thing that I see in the text is this, is that God's love in Jesus changes our direction. It's just this beautiful little verse right at the end of verse 12. They've, they've encountered, and look at the beautiful worship in verse 11. Look at all the verbs. And going into the house, they saw the child with, with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him. They offered him gifts, and then they went a different direction. I mean, you could preach a whole sermon on worship from verse 11. But then look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Oh, do you see it? God used all of these circumstances and situations to draw them to himself in Jesus Christ, to show the magnitude of his love. He drew them in. But when they encountered Jesus, they left a different way in which they came. 
That is what the love of God does. That's why I, do, I, I resist so much anybody that puts anything in front of the name Christian, a blank Christian or this Christian or that Christian. It is simply a follower of Christ, a sinner saved by grace through faith that it is not done of our own doing, but it is a gift of God so that no one may boast that this is only found in the grace of Jesus Christ and that when we encounter that grace, it has the power to change us. Listen, the good news is this, is that God meets you right where you're at. Hey, listen, God's going to meet you if you're going through a divorce or a financial situation or addiction or pride or this, whatever it is that you're going through, God meets you right where you are, right where you're at. It's not clean myself up and then do this and then do that. That is a false image of God. But God meets you where you are. But he loves us too much to leave us where he found us. Yes, God is going to enter into your marriage or your relationships or whatever it is in your life. But that encounter will never be the same. There's nobody in the pages of the New Testament who encounters Jesus and remains the same. They always leave changed, either for better or even more hard-hearted than once they once encountered him. So the season of Epiphany teaches us that God is like Jesus. So here's what I want to do in closing. I'm going to put those other false images of God up. Which, which one is it for you? I think God is like blank. When I pray, when I, my, my image of God is this distant God who doesn't really care for me, doesn't want to really get involved, probably has better things to do, like all kinds of stuff. Or any time that I, that I try to pray or I try to read my Bible, I'm so nervous and I'm so filled with anxiety because I think I'm going to do it wrong and then this God's going to punish me because of the things that I did in my past. So now I have to live life a certain way because then... Or is it filled with constant anxiety of, well, I hope this is the right decision and what's the will of God because all of these domino effects and I'm going to be left and I'm going to be outside the will of God. And, or, or as St. Augustine said, um, when you read the Gospels and you encounter a God who would never disagree with you, it's not the God of the Bible that you worship but yourself. That's the doting grandfather. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to remove those. And from the text, what have we seen? The image of God in Jesus. We see this, a God who loves the whole world, not based on ethnicity or last name or bank account or anything, but a love that knows no limits. Then I see a God who pursues a rebellious creation. And you can be in here today and be so angry and so frustrated with your situations in life, but the reality is, is that God is drawing you to himself. And then the last thing is a God who changes our direction. That when we encounter this love, we never go back the same way. Listen, here's what I want for us in 2020 as a church. I want us to remove the false images of God. And I want to replace them not with a new image. We don't need new. We need true. The true image of God found in the person of Jesus Christ than any resolution or anything. We need a true image of God found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. So Westside, stand to your feet. And before we come to the tables and partake in the elements, 
Let us lift our voices and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in such desperate need. Even when, even when we hear the words, our Father, there's something that enters into our mind that if we're honest with ourselves is not the true image found in the person of Jesus Christ. God, as we come to this table, we see a God who is made available. God of humility who punches a hole through heaven to pursue the rebellious creation. And may when we leave this table, very symbolic that we don't go back the way that we came to this table, go a different way to symbolize the ever-transforming power of your grace. God, I pray for Westside in 2020 that we would remove these false images and that we would replace it with the true image found in the person of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward and partake in the elements today as you